I want to continue speaking today on the book of Jude. We started this a few weeks ago, and uh, we are still kind of in the introduction side of it, um, but it's something that we want to um, move through because it's a very important book. Short, but it's important. So today we're going to be talking about the dangers of subtracting from the gospel. The last time we spoke, a couple weeks ago, about this, we talked about of the dangers of adding to the gospel message. And um, that would be in the form of a legalistic teaching more so, that we're adding our own religion, we're adding our own rules and regulations. And we're not saying by that that rules are bad at all, but it's the heart of the man that why he obeys the rules and things really is the more important thing here. Um, because when we love the Lord, we want to please the Lord. That's, that's the reality. So today I want to understand more about what it means to subtract or take away from the gospel message and recognize that both extremes take us away from the truth. Both extremes result in death. And even though there may be some really, really serious religion going on here, we may be very religious in our legalistic approach, or we may be very religious in our liberal approach. Religion gets us nowhere. <laughs> religion does not lead us to life. The only thing that leads us to life is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? So that's what I want to focus on as well. But it's interesting. This week I was watching a tipping point message from Jimmy Evans. Jimmy Evans is one of the pastors down at Gateway Church in Dallas, Texas. And uh, he's got a ministry called The Tipping Point. In fact, he wrote a book called The Tipping Point. And it's all about basically end times situations where we're at. And as I was listening to this message this week, it really came to me in how, how combined these messages are. Speaking of false teachers that Jude's talking about and speaking of the end times that Jimmy Evans is talking about, it really brings these messages together because the end times really are all about the false teaching that's happening around us. And it's only going to get worse um, the closer we get to the return of the Lord. So having a focus on the end time and an understanding of really the power of deceptive teaching go hand in hand. In fact, we're going to be focusing in on that on our Wednesday night uh, midweek services coming up. In fact, this next Wednesday night, we're going to be, I'm going to be showing a video from Jimmy Evans, one of his tipping point. He does a weekly podcast that brings us up to speed of where we're at um, and what's happening in Israel and so forth, and um, namely the Gog and Magog war that we're talking about. I mean, it's just, or what the Bible talks about, it's just really beginning right now in Israel with what's going on with the bombings and such over there. So if you're interested in the end times, come, to, come this, Saturday, this Wednesday at 6 o'clock, and um, we're going to be talking about that, and we're going to be focusing on where, really where are we at in the, in the scale of eternity here. So um, when these topics come together, uh, they're very relevant to the teachings of what we're going through right now. So if you would, stand with me, and let's read our text today. I'm reading this out of the New Living Translation today. Read along with me, if you would. Dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share, but now I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time 
to his holy people. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name, and we are asking you to help us to discern your word today. Help us to understand exactly what it is that you're saying in the times that we're living Help us not to stray off course. Help us not to go down rabbit trails. Help us to stay focused in on your word, that we're learning from you what you would have us to learn so that we can protect ourselves, our families, and our relationship with you most of all. So I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So I hope that we can really understand more of what Jude's going to be talking about today and uh, the next few weeks. Uh, This is an extremely important teaching um, as we're getting more and more closer and closer to the end times. And here we got to recognize that Jude isn't just upset because there's some false teachers that are getting into the church that are taking people from his church and robbing them and going to another church. I mean, he's not defensive here. He's not trying to protect his little ministry. Not at all. That's not while he, why he's talking about this at all. What Jude is emphatically talking about here has been put on his heart by the power of the Holy Spirit because these false teachers are distorting the truth of God's word. So he's defending God's word. He's defending the very nature of God. And so this is very important that we recognize that what is being either added to or taken away from God's word is very important to God. It's very important to the Father that we're discerning his word properly, that we're not adding to it or that we're not taking away. Recognize that God is perfectly moral. He's perfectly ethical. He's perfectly just in everything he does. And so when a man comes in and tries to distort his word, God gets righteously angry. I mean, he has a lot to protect here. And he has every reason to be angry with people when they come in and purposely, intentionally try to change God's word to say something that it's not saying. You combine that with where we're at in the last days, you combine that with the enemies knowing that his days are short, and the only thing, the only enemy, or the only weapon that he has is false teaching. I mean, that's the only thing he can do to destroy you and to destroy me and to destroy the church of God is to get in our minds and to twist the truth. He has no power other than that. I mean, Jesus took the power of Satan away at the cross. But what, he didn't, what, what Jesus didn't take away was the choice of man to believe what they want to believe. So mankind can believe untruth and Jesus can do nothing about that. And, that's, and the devil knows that. That's why he knows his only and most effective tool is a lie. And so he comes to us subtly. He comes to us um, gently many times with the purpose of twisting God's truth into something that isn't true. And God does not like that. 
I'm glad God doesn't like it. I'm glad God gets upset about that because I, I need that. I need that solid foundation. And, you know, when we talk about the end times, we don't talk about it because we're doomsdayers or we're fatalists. Understand that. This is not a, a scary topic to us. But we're realistic in what's happening. We're reading God's word and seeing prophecies unfolding all around us. It gives us great hope that we can look up, our redemption draweth nigh. But while we're still waiting, we have things to be doing here. We have purposes. We have work to do in the kingdom. We have to unveil God's truth and protect God's truth and stand for what God is standing for and stand against what God is standing up against. And, and we need to do our part in this. So I pray that you hang with me here in this study and that you, you, you study along with me and pray along with me as we study these, these, these words because this is kind of a hard teaching. I, I will say this is kind of a mature teaching. This is something that doesn't go to young believers easily because when we start talking about God's anger and start talking about God's judgment, it's not a fun topic. It's a necessary topic, but it's not one of those ones that tickle your ears. If you want your ears tickled, find another church. <laughs> we're, we're teaching God's word because that's important, because that's the only thing that gives us life. Anything else will take us down a road of, it might make us feel good for the moment, but at the end of the day, you're going to be missing the truth of God's word, and we won't do that here. So it's interesting. As we look at God's letter that Jude wrote, that Jude says that the teachers were subtly worming their way. Worming is an interesting word. Worming is a, something's on the ground just kind of wiggling. It's got no legs. <laughs> it's just kind of squirming in to the church. But when it gets there, it's perverting the marvelous grace of God into something that is totally contrary to the very nature of God. And that's why Jude is writing, because he didn't really want to write about this. He really wanted to write about the salvation of God. He really wanted to write a nice positive message, I believe. But the Holy Spirit got a hold of him and said, no, Jude, this is important. Not, impo not just as important for your day, but it's important for Centerpoint Assembly to be talking about Mar May 30th, 2021, because it's important for their day as well. So what's interesting here is how Jude phrases it. Some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches some ungodly people. Now, it's interesting here. I see a couple points I want to make here because Satan doesn't normally show up in all of his evil when he's trying to deceive people. He comes in gently. Rather, he comes in many times as an angel of light. That's what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15 Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says this, these people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. He's talking about false teachers. But verse 14 says, but I'm not surprised because even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. So Satan is very deceptive in how he comes into our minds. He's very cunning in that area. He's had lots of time to practice on people. 
and he knows our weak points. So he comes in quite often very subtly, very casually, very slowly, and he starts to subtract from the word of God. He starts to take away from God's truths. But sometimes, and this is even more amazing, that sometimes he comes in with a strategy that is very bold up front to the point that you can't even believe it. So he makes it so bold that it's unbelievable. And that is something that's being pushed right now by the aggressive left, leftist agenda of what's happening in our political world with the socialism and the Marxism and all the things that are coming. It's, they're not ashamed of it. The left is not coming in quietly. They're coming in very boldly with a very drastic approach that we're going to change America. And the enemy can come that way in our lives sometimes too with a very bold approach. So the point about, I have about that is that if that's happening... If the enemy is coming in that obviously, where ungodly people are coming into the church, why is the church allowing them to influence them? If, if it is that bold of an agenda, which I think it is in some cases, yes, he comes in gently as an angel of light, sometimes he comes in boldly with an agenda. If he does come with an agenda, why does the church allow him to have the influence to change us. Interesting thought. You see, in an attempt for a church world, and even from a government world, but let's talk about the church, in an attempt for the church to gain influence and popularity in the community, it's very tempting for us to be all-inclusive and to Invite all types of people with all types of worldviews to come into our church and to be part of our body. And it sounds really good. It's very politically correct to say that. That all are welcome in our church. And they are. They are welcome in this church. We're not trying to keep them out of the church. But what we have to understand is that when we say that we're welcoming all worldviews into our church and people of all different faiths and different, different lifestyles, what we're saying, though, is that we're not going to allow them to change who we are. I mean, they're welcome, but they're not going to influence us to change so that we can accommodate them. They're welcome because we want them to hear the truth of God's word. But they're not going to change God's word. And so when you go into the world that you live in, you're not to avoid people of a different worldview. You're not to hide from them. You are to embrace them. You are to develop a relationship with them. But you are to be very careful, though, that you need to determine who's going to influence who. You need to make sure that your influence is rubbing off on them, not vice versa. So that you can stand your ground lovingly, stand your ground to protect God's word, so that you can ultimately win them to Christ. We have no reason to fear worldviews. We have no reason to fear a person that disagrees with us. 
We're to love them. We're to embrace them. We're to hug them. We're to have coffee with them. We're to fellowship with them. But we have to be careful, though, that they don't worm their way into our life and change the truth of God's word. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if going back to our text, what Jude is saying here is that these ungodly people are doing, what are they doing once they get into the church? What he's saying is that they're saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. Or the NIV says it this way, that they pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality. See, the last time we talked, we talked about the dangers of adding to the gospel. Today, we're talking about the, ang- the dangers of subtracting from the gospel. And this is what is happening here when these false teachers are perverting the grace of God into something that gives people a license to live any way they want to live. And make no mistake about it, we are saved only by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. It doesn't make any difference what other factor comes in. Our salvation is only through the grace of Jesus. Nothing can be added nor taken away from that. That is, our, our salvation is only in the grace of God. So when I take anything, when I add anything to it or take anything away from that, it's a compromise. And any form of compromise, any form of compromise takes us away from the truth of God's word. Any form of compromise, whether I'm adding to it or taking away, I'm compromising what God's word says. And when that happens, the Bible says, the passage here said, the condemnation of such people was recorded long ago. So God's already condemned the person that is either adding or taking away. God has, there's no pleasure here from God's perspective on those kind of people. What they're saying here is that God's grace allows us to live immoral lives. This was and still is a very popular form of false teaching in the church. Locally and around the world, it's everywhere. This is a very popular message because, and why is it popular? Because when I know when I allow this to happen, when I allow this teaching that I can live any way I want to live after I've accepted Jesus Christ, it allows me to fulfill my fleshly desires of my selfish and evil heart while at the same time thinking that I'm loving and serving Jesus. That's how powerful this deception is. And that... I will still have a heavenly home waiting for me when I die if I allow this kind of teaching to subtly work its way into my life. So to protect this, there's there's a lot more we can talk about here. And I don't have the time to talk about it, but I will say this. This takes a lot of self-examination and a lot of prayer personally so that we make sure that we don't find ourselves slipping down that path. We'll talk more about this a little bit later. Paul wrote in his writings to the church in Romans chapter 6. And in this passage, Paul is um, saying, recognizing that we're saved by grace, and once we're saved by grace, can we continue to live in sin? Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, it says, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? 
Of course not. Since we have died to sin, Paul says, how can we continue to live in sin? So once I have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm not to continue to live in intentional sinful disobedience. That's just very straightforward here. So how am I to live? So Paul goes on. If you read the rest of this verse, this passage in Romans chapter 6, Paul goes in great detail giving reasons why a believer should not keep living a sinful life after his conversion. And then he kind of summarizes it in verses 11 through 14. So he says this. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead. Listen to this. That you should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. He says, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have a new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no, long, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Man, there's so much there. Usually when you think that you're living under something, that you're living under oppression, or you're living under the heavy hand of a controlling person, when you live under something, it's normally considered a bad thing, right? But Paul says it this way, that when you live under freedom of God's grace, actually it means that we can live above our natural fleshly desires. So when I live under the power of God's grace, I'm living above the power of sin. I'm living above my own fleshly desires that I can say no to myself when I need to say no to myself. And I can say yes when I need to say yes. So you can see why God gets a little upset when people begin to distort grace to mean that one can still have an intentional desire to sin when grace really means that we can live above sin and not under sin, right? That we're living under grace so that we can live above sin. And when the false teachers start coming in and say you can live under grace so that you can sin more, (laughs) that kind of makes God upset because you're saying something, they're saying something here that God didn't say. And so therefore, he gets a little upset with that. Let's continue to read what Paul says in Romans later on in this same chapter, beginning at verse 15. He says, Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Again, of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? There's that power of choice. You see that? You have the power to choose to obey something. And whatever you choose to obey, you become a slave of. You thought you had power over that, but once you start choosing to obey something, you are ultimately going to become a slave to it, whatever that it is. So let's continue to read verse 16. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. 
thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly, listen to that, once now, but now you wholeheartedly, meaning with everything you have, you obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. Do you see the power of grace there? Do you see the power of grace, not only just to forgive, but now empower you to live above sin? That's powerful living, folks. You see, grace changes the heart of a sinful man that is in bondage to sin into a man that has a desire to be wholeheartedly obedient to Christ. That's what grace does. Grace just doesn't forgive. It changes us. It changes my desire. And it's totally opposite of the grace that the false teachers were talking about, where the false teacher was saying that now that grace gives a license for immorality and intentional sinful living. Totally opposite. That's why God is so angry with it. And that's why we're going to see in the next weeks to come how Jude deals, how God deals with these kind of sinful men. There's freedom here when we understand the power of God's grace so that we can live above the power of sin. Now, let me give you an example of what this might look like. How many here saw the movie Blindside? Okay, great movie, wasn't it? True story of a young boy that lived on the other side of the tracks, so to speak. Right? A young black boy that had nothing, was homeless, had a terrible upbringing, and this well-to-do couple, family, got connected to him. And we all know that he ended up being a great football player and he went to be able to play in the NFL and all that good stuff. A great story. But the whole purpose here is that what I'm trying to get out of this is the power of adoption. The power of what happened when, I don't remember his name. Um, does anybody remember his name? Michael. Michael. Thank you. Michael what? Orr, Michael Orr, thank you. I, you know, I should have done my research, sorry. Um, Michael Orr, he came from a bad upbringing, had bad habits, comes into this new home, and they want to change him a little bit. And here's the questions that I think we need to talk about, that when we are being adopted into a new home, what's wrong when the adoptive parents require that the young boy makes some behavioral changes. Is there anything wrong with them to say, Michael, you used to live that way there. Whatever those thing, whatever that required of you to do there, Michael, you don't have to live that way anymore here because we will provide for you here. So you don't have to steal. You don't have to lie. You don't have to do, be deceptive there anymore because we're going to give you everything over here. So now just let's just live honestly, Michael. I mean, what's wrong with that? Is it wrong for him, for them to give him some household chores? Is it wrong for him, for them to say, Michael, now that you're living under our house, we have some different rules to live by, and you have to be a participant in our rules. You have to be a producer in our home, not just a consumer in our home. There's that whole producer-consumer model that we could talk about a lot. Is there anything wrong with that when we talk about an adoption? 
that you don't have to live that way. In fact, we don't want you to live that way anymore. We're giving you everything that you don't have to. We want you to abide by a different set of rules. Is that wrong? Anybody been, anybody a foster parent here? Anybody adopted children? Or Did you have rules for your foster children to obey? Was it wrong for you to put rules on your foster children? No, but yet we fight against godly rules when we're being adopted into the family of God, yet we say, no, God, I, I want to live the way I was living then, but I still want to be part of the family now. Let's read about being adopted. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You've got to read this right. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Understand, he's not saying that all who live are children of God. God loves all people, but you don't become a child of God until you are led by the Spirit and you choose to follow the Spirit. There is a conditional thing here called salvation. When we accept the salvation of Jesus Christ, we're now adopted into a different family. Let's read on. Verse 15. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you receive God's spirit. When he adopted you as his own children, now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory, but we are to share in his glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. So here we are in the same position of being adopted, but this time we're being adopted not by an earthly parent or an earthly father and a mother, but we're being adopted by the heavenly father. It's an amazing adoption. And I think we like to think about that. I think we like the benefits of that. When we're adopted as a co-heir with Christ, what does that really mean? It means that we have the same legal rights in heaven as Jesus has in heaven. Do you understand that? When you're adopted, you have the same legal rights as a natural-born child. You take the name of the family. You have the same rights of the family. When the legal system looks at you, they don't say, oh, he's an adopted child. He says, no, he is a child of this family. That's the power of adoption. It wipes away the past in many regards and gives you a new future as a part of the family that has adopted you. It's the same thing spiritually. That at one moment we were an enemy of God and now instantly we become a part of the family of God when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and then make him our Lord. We become part of the family of God. That's just an amazing thing. I mean, there is something that's a miraculous miracle. But let's jump back a little bit more. Jump back to Romans chapter 6, verse 20 through 23. It says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. Think about that. When I'm a slave to sin, I'm free from the obligation to do right things because I'm a slave to sin. Verse 21. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves to God. 
Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So interesting. There's such a difference between wages and a gift. Wages are something that you earn. You earn what you worked for. You deserve that. That's, that's what you deserve. You deserve your wages. But the wages of sin is death. But a gift is something that you don't deserve, but yet are given. And so we're given life through Jesus Christ. The gift of God is life through Jesus Christ. Pretty amazing that there's a change here. But the point of all this is that Jude was warning the church of his day that the false prophets were secretly and subtly saying that a person that is saved by grace, that they could live any lifestyle that they chose. The contemporary English version says it this way. Some godless people have sneaked in among us and are saying, God treats us much better than we deserve. So it is all right to be immoral. That's what they're saying. And then even more, they even deny that we must obey Jesus Christ as our only master and Lord. So do you see what's being done here by these false teachers? That they're taking grace and they're totally twisting it around. They're perverting it and, and twisting it from a, a changing, a life-saving grace into a grace that is now fallen and powerless to save. Now let's go back to our adoption papers here. When God adopted us as children, we're adopted into the family of God. We are brothers with Christ. We have the same legal rights as Christ has. What could be better than that? Literally, what could be better than that? But there's some fine print here in the contract. There's some fine print that we need to read that maybe we don't like to read it. But look back at Romans chapter 8, verse 17. It says, and since we are children... We are God's heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are co-heirs with Christ in his glory. But here's the fine print. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. I don't like that part. Do you? <laughs> I don't like that. I just want to be adopted into the family. I don't want to suffer for it. It hurts. See, as a part of the family, we have to do some chores in the household. As part of the family, there are some behaviors that have to change. As part of the family, there are some attitudes that need to be adjusted. And it's going to take some work and possibly some suffering for that to happen. Suffer, Jesus suffered on the cross. Greatly, he suffered on the cross. And we have our cross to suffer on too. We don't have to die to it like Jesus died. We have to die to ourselves spiritually. Jesus died physically. We have to die spiritually. Romans chapter 8, verse 13. For, you, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. 
Whenever you put something to death, it's painful. Never easy to put something to death. It might hurt a little bit, and it might cause you some suffering when you start denying your own fleshly desires. That's where the power of choice comes in. That's the power of choice. Because it's my choice and your choice to either live according to what the Bible says I should do or I must do, or I can ignore God's instructions and do what I want to do and die. I mean, I can say, no, I'm not going to do that, God, because I want to live my life here now the way I want to live, the enjoyment of what I want. And in fact, the false teachers or some churches will say, go ahead, you can do that because you've been saved 20 years ago. But that's not what God's word says at all. Because otherwise, when I got to Romans eight seventeen, and I could, I could read it this way, and since we are children, we are heirs, in fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Amen. No more fine print, but if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering, and that is that we say no to myself and yes to God. And in all honesty, let me just say this way. It's really not suffering. (laughs) I mean, it's freedom. And when I don't have to live under consequences of guilt, there's great freedom there. So it's not a, I mean, I could say it's suffering because it's called suffering, but yet I don't really, I don't have to look at it that way. I can look at it as I'm living a free life above the suffering that I would have to have lived under if I was under a perverted grace because I would have great guilt and condemnation. But when I live under God's grace, I live above the temptation. Now, I I said something earlier that I need to go back to, and I'll go quickly here. But I said earlier that there is a danger to those that ignore godly obedience and still feel that God will welcome them to a heavenly reward. And we must recognize this. Go to chapter 7 of Matthew. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. It says, Not everyone who calls me their Lord will get into the kingdom of heaven. Only the ones who obey my Father in heaven will get in. On the day of judgment, many will call me their Lord. They will say, we preached in your name, and in your name we forced out demons and worked many miracles. But I will tell you them, I will tell them, I will have nothing to do with you. Get out of my sight, you evil people. Do you see how God, how seriously God takes grace? The grace that he gives, not a grace that's perverted by a false teacher that says you can live any way you want to live and still get into heaven. We can be really religious people and still miss heaven because it's all about relationship. And that's what Jesus is saying here. My Bible commentary says, Jesus emphatically taught that carrying out God's purposes and desires was a condition for entering the kingdom of heaven. Jesus clearly states that there will be, look at that, many, many, not just a few, But there will be many who believe they are serving him and who appear to do great works for him, yet in reality, they never had a true relationship with him, especially 
as the end times draw near. Yeah. Revelation chapter 22, the last book of the Bible, the last chapter of the Bible, says this, verses, 20, uh, verses 17 through 21. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Everyone who hears this should say, come. If you are thirsty, come. If you want life-giving water, come and take it. It's free. Here is my warning, however. <laughs> For everyone who hears the prophecies in this book, if you add anything to them, God will make you suffer all the terrible troubles written in this book. If you take anything away from these prophecies, God will not let you have part in the life-giving tree and in the holy city described in this book. I think we've said enough. I think we know what God's requirements are today. That we are, how serious it is to add or subtract from the truth of God's word. And the reality is, guys, it's not difficult to live when we're living wholeheartedly for Jesus. It's only difficult when we're living with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. It's only hard when I'm just trying to play the game. But when I'm all in, it's not hard. And it's really not even suffering. It is just living for Jesus in a way that I know I'm pleasing him and he's pleased with me and he's going to say, Mike, well done, thou good and faithful. Enter into your father's joy. That's what we hear. Jackie, would you come please? So how do we live once we have this saving experience through the blood of Jesus? How do we live? Well, we recognize that God's love of the Heavenly Father, he loved us so much that, first of all, he sacrificed his son, Jesus. He desires to have a true personal relationship with each and every person. I mean, like we worshiped him today, corporate worship is amazing, but what's even more amazing is your personal worship, your personal time that you can just say, God, I love you in the way I know how to say I love you. He's calling everyone to drink from his everlasting and eternal spring of eternal water. He's giving all of the provision of life for us today. He wants us to live and enjoy that. He's promising to satisfy every need and every desire if we would just come and receive it. It's unlimited. His mercy and grace is unlimited. Once we understand that the love of an adopted father, once we understand that, it becomes a joy and it becomes a privilege then it requires all of our effort to love him back. Romans 8, 15. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba. What does Abba mean? Abba is the most endearing way of saying dad. Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. It's because he now you can crawl up in his lap and you can let him hug you and love you and just embrace you and just fill you with his love and his mercy. There is no downside being adopted into the family of God, even if we have to suffer. Thank God for that. Thank God that he's given us such a great inheritance. He loves us and he cherishes us so much 
that there's nothing in this world that could take us away from that. Let's pray. Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, for that message. I thank you for the message of truth. I thank you, Lord, that we can have a solid foundation that is unwavering. That no matter what the world throws at it, that we can stand on the truth of God's word. Uh, no compromise. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to fret over it. I don't have to wonder if it's going to hold me up. I can rest assuredly in your words that I can call you Abba Father when I'm totally in and when I totally surrender to you. There is great peace. There is great hope. There is great promise. This morning, maybe you don't have that. I know probably most in this room do. But maybe you're watching online and maybe you don't have that hope. Maybe you're struggling in some areas. You're struggling probably because you don't have both feet in. You're struggling probably because you're trying to play the game. You're struggling probably because you're really not fully committed. You might know, but you're struggling because your commitment isn't quite there. That is suffering. So I just want to encourage you today to examine your heart, to ask Jesus to forgive you totally of your sin, and then to be whole in. Ask him to break every habit. Ask him to break every chain, everything that would be holding you back. Maybe you've got some life addiction issues that you're still struggling with. Well, I just want you to know that Jesus will deliver you from those. He'll give you the ability to get through them until the point that he has delivered you, but he can miraculously deliver you of every habit, everything that would be maybe bringing a compromise because his love is so great. If that's you this morning, wherever you're at, all you have to do is ask him. All you have to do is say, Father, please forgive me today. Bring me into the family of God. Give me a new name so that I can live above the sin, above the issues, above the habits. And I thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing the song that Jackie and Tom are playing. And stand with me if you will. And let's just worship him just for a minute before we leave today.
Father, I just pray that this would be our prayer today. That as we walk out of this place, we go to our homes, we go back to the busyness of life. I pray, God, that this message would just settle into our souls and our spirit. That we would make you forever mine. That we would not go back to our old ways, whatever that was. That we really, really would take the church into the world today. Father, your mercies and grace are so amazing. So amazing. Go with us today, I pray. Settle into our spirits. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Have a great week. See you Wednesday night.